because the names are terribly, terribly difficult. Um, and I didn't want to be the one to have to read them. So I put that on Riley's shoulders this morning. Uh, no, actually, Riley, you did a fantastic job. And I thank you for reading that. And I wanted him to read the entire chapter, not because of the difficulty of the names, but because of the context that Paul wrote to the church at Colossea. I'm going to encourage you to take a Bible, or if on your smart device, your phone, or your iPad, you have a Bible app, I would encourage you uh, to mark Colossians chapter 4. I want to tell you something about Colossians chapter 4 uh, that is dear to me. If you look at the book, that Paul, or the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, you'll see something different about this letter than other letters. One, this is one of Paul's shortest letters. In fact, it may be the shortest letter that he wrote to a congregation, to a church as a whole. Many of the other letters that Paul wrote to churches uh, were letters in which he was uh, rebuking them, in which he was uh, trying to get them to correct something that was wrong. But this letter instead to the church at Colossae is more of one that when you read it, you understand that he's probably writing uh, to a newer congregation, to a younger congregation, that he's explaining to them something uh, about what they are as Christians just in general about who their leader is, about who their king is, about how they are to be as a new man. But there's something special here about Colossians chapter 4. You know, if I asked any one of you who have been here for some time, uh, who does Hebrews chapter 11 mention? I'm sure there's a number of names that you would come up with. Even those of you who are visiting with us, if I said, hey, who is Noah? I'm certain there is something biblically you could tell me about Noah. Or if I asked you, who is Moses? You could tell me, hey, I've heard something about Moses. Or what about David? David was king and he was a man after God's own heart. But you know the great thing? About Colossians chapter 4, Paul didn't talk about David. Paul didn't talk about Moses or Noah. In fact, there was only a few names in there that we would pull out and go, I know who that is. We all know who Luke was, right? And he was mentioned there. But there's something very important about this letter to this small church at Colossae. If you're looking there in Colossians, the fourth chapter, what's that chapter about? You know, if you look at verse 1, you kind of go, huh, I wonder why they broke it up that way. Because if you take that verse out and you put it back in chapter 3, then the rest of chapter 4 kind of has a pattern there, doesn't it? What is he encouraging these brothers and sisters in Christ to do? He's encouraging them to pray. Let me say this again. Paul is encouraging these brothers and sisters in Christ to pray. But I want you to notice something about what he's encouraging them to do. He's doing more than just encouraging them to pray. 
He's saying, make prayer central in your life. But I want you to notice someone specifically there in Colossians 4. I want you to look with me at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and then them in Hierapolis. Who is Epaphras? I wonder if I passed out a test this morning... And it went through different characters in the Bible, different people uh, who went on before us. I wonder if Epaphras is one of those that all of us could go, okay, I know that guy. I want you to notice something special here. Of all the names that are named, there's only two who Paul calls out and says, he's one of you. One is Onesimus. Early in the chapter, he says, Onesimus, he's one of you. He's one from your little place. He's from your little town. He's the one that sits among you. Now, if you want to read a little more about Onesimus, go back to the letter of Philemon, and you'll learn all about him. But I don't want to talk about Onesimus this morning. I want to talk about Epaphras. Why do I want to talk about Epaphras? Because he's only mentioned three times in scriptures. Twice in this letter, and once in Philemon. If you look in uh, Colossians, the first chapter, in Colossians, the first chapter, in verse 7, Paul mentions this Epaphras in that one verse, and then he moves on, and he's encouraging these Christians there at Colossae. He comes back to him here in the fourth chapter, and then again in Philemon. You know what? He gives one verse to Epaphras. But I want you to know that if we want to learn from somebody this morning, we need to learn from Epaphras. Why? I want to read these verses to you again. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. He's one of you. He's a servant of Christ. He salutes you. And he's always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now I want you to know exactly who Epaphras is. Because Epaphras knew exactly who he was. I'm going to show you this morning that Epaphras, and when you walk out of here this morning, I want to make sure you know exactly who he was. Because when I say he knew who he was, he knew he had a king. And he knew exactly who he served. And the one he served was Christ. And in his service to Christ, it says he salutes you. Do we understand what that word salute means? You know, when we talk about a salute, we think about somebody in uniform, somebody like Danny Martin, who was on our prayer list this morning. 
uh, the commander of the VFW, a cousin of Maxine and, and of Nathan, uh, a family member there. We think about a man in uniform, someone who stands up and puts his hand to his head in saluting someone else. But this is much deeper than that. They weren't, Paul was not saying that from a distance he was looking back to the church and he was looking and he was saluting. Instead, that term means embracing. What is embracing? We're going to talk about that. And finally, it says he's always laboring, fervent for you. In prayers. When we get there, I want to talk about what that always means. What's it mean? You know, the neat thing is sometimes we can take a word like salute and we can go, hey, you know what the word salute means? And then we can go, no, that's not really what it means when it was translated in the Bible. We can go back to Strong's and we see something different. It means embrace. But then there are times when we can look at words in scriptures and we can say, hey, you know what? He said always. When was that? You know what term we use today for what they use for always? Always. <laughs> that's it. You know, you know how to say no in Spanish? It's no. You know the cool thing about always? It meant always when this letter was written to the church at Colossae, and it means always today. Now I want you to notice that Epaphras was a servant of Christ. That he embraced his fellow Christians, his brothers and sisters, and that he was in fact... A prayer warrior. First, he was a servant of Christ. Look at Matthew, the sixth chapter. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, as you turn there, uh, Jesus is giving his sermon on the mount here. And in Matthew, the sixth chapter, in verse 24, he says this, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, that term mammon there is what we know as money. You cannot serve God and money. And oftentimes we use this verse to point out the fact uh, that sometimes we very definitely have to beware uh, of the temptation to be led by possessions, of the temptation to be led by stuff, of the temptation to be led by things. But I want you to notice that Jesus spent a great deal of time in this verse here to make it clear to those who were listening and everybody within the sound of my voice, here's what he was saying, no man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. I want you to notice that Jesus did not say it is very difficult to serve two masters. Jesus did not say, good luck if you attempt to serve two masters. Instead, here's what he said. He said, a man cannot serve two masters. Generally, I would hope that those who are here this morning uh, do not have the love of money that we would look at for that last sentence there in verse 24. Generally, I hope we understand that we can't serve God while serving things but more importantly I want you to know you cannot serve two masters 
What masters might you be serving other than God? It's real easy for us to sit here and say, I don't serve two masters. I do not serve Satan while serving God. You know it's not certain Satan I'm worried about this morning. It's you. You ever tried to do that? You see, I serve God. But today, right now, I'm going to serve me. You know, because I know the situation I'm in. I know the talents that I have. I know those things that I want done and I want them done now. So here's what I'll do. I'll serve God while serving me. I mean, why can't I do that? I'll tell you why you can't. Because no man can serve two masters. Not money, not things, and not you. Epaphras knew exactly who he served. Jeremiah, the prophet, a name we all know, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament said this in the 10th chapter, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You see, Jeremiah knew the same thing. Jeremiah didn't say, I'm the one leading these people. It is my words they're listening to. I am the one who is prophesying, so I've got to make sure that I'm doing those things which I believe are right. Instead, Jeremiah said, you know what? There's one I have to follow. There's one I have to serve. The one I have to serve is the one who directs man's steps. Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews, the second chapter, and verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Here's what Epaphras knew. Epaphras knew that he was serving the one who knew how to serve. The one that had come just like you and I. And I want you to notice, in that service to Christ, Epaphras recognized that in serving the Son of Man, he learned how to embrace. Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 10. Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 10. Notice what Paul says here uh, to the Romans. He says in chapter 12 and verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Uh, so you'll notice that I underline the word honor there because we all know what the word honor means, right? Everybody nod your head. We all understand what honor means. I wonder if you could describe it to me. If you could, go ahead and give me a definition of the word honor. Because I think honor is one of those words that when we hear it, we know exactly what we mean. We just don't know how to really define it, right? 
So let's let the Bible define itself here. Uh, that term actually translated from a word we really understand, and that is value. In value, preferring one another. That word value is exactly what we think of. Money. Monetary value. I want you to notice it says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. What value do we put on one another? You know, sometimes we call the word, we use the word preferences. What Paul said, preferring one another. What's your preference? You know what Paul was saying there to the Romans and therefore to you and I this morning was? You need to be my pearl of great price. He said when you think of values... When you think about what's important, when you put that list in order of the highest price to the lowest price, you put the highest price on each other. That you put the highest importance on each other. Now notice it says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Let me show you the importance of that. Uh, Paul evidently thought this idea of embracing was very important, and he used this term, holy kiss. Uh, and because of this, I want you to mark down, if you mark in your scriptures or you have a way of highlighting there uh, in your phone, I want you to mark this verse, and specifically I want you to notice, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. I want you to notice what Paul says in these four verses. He says, salute one another with a holy kiss. That term salute means to embrace. The churches of Christ salute you. 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, all the brethren greet you. Greet you one another with a holy kiss. That word greet is the same as salute, which is the same as embracing. Greet one another with a holy kiss in the second letter to the church at Corinth, and then to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I want to make sure you understand something here. If you ever want to know what one of the most vulnerable positions you can be in, you may remember years ago I gave a lesson in which I talked about in serving one another, that when we're brought to our knees, we are in fact in one of the most vulnerable positions we can be in, right? You want to know what's more vulnerable than that? Ian, come here. I'm going to tell you what's more vulnerable than me getting on my knees. It's right here. And I'll tell you why. Does anybody know how Judas betrayed Jesus? How Jesus knew it was one of the twelve 
who he had chosen to follow him for three years. A man who had sold everything and given everything up in life and yet exchanged that love for 30 pieces of silver. Do you know how he showed the Roman soldiers who the Savior was? With a kiss. With a kiss. You want to know who can hurt you the most? You want to know who can break your heart the most? The ones you embrace. Let me make sure you understand something this morning. And especially for you younger. If we were to look at these verses and make this anything about a physical attraction, if we were to look at these verses and make these anything about a physical or mental lust, then we have destroyed the love of Christ. But if we do not recognize the spiritual aspect of embracing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we do not recognize greeting one another in embracing and making ourselves vulnerable to one another, we have destroyed the love of Christ. And Epaphras knew exactly who he served. And in that service, was willing to make himself vulnerable in embracing his brothers and his sisters at Colossae. I want you to notice Philippians, the second chapter. Years ago, we held a meeting here in this building just after we had moved, and we said that Philippians, the second chapter, would be a theme that we would go after and go after and go after. And if we're going to understand the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, here in the second chapter, in verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If you don't understand what Paul was saying here, there's a word there that translates the same way uh, back in old time as it does today, and that's the word nothing. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The idea here is that I consider myself to be most important. In fact, we call it number one. I'm going to look after number one. And Paul said, no, I'm not. Paul said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each, other esteem, let each esteem other better than themselves. That term better is the same as was used earlier, that being value. If I'm going to make a value ladder, ladder of the people in my life, I've got to put God and Christ at the top. And you know who comes just below them, but not too far below them? You. And then you know who comes right after you, but not too far right after you? 
everybody else. And then somewhere once I've got that list written and I've put that value ladder up and I've put the value in my life, then somewhere down the list, if I ever get there to the end, then I can put my name on that list. And that's what Paul said. Now I want you to notice that Epaphras, not only did he recognize who he served and embraced his brothers and sisters, but he was a prayer warrior. And I want you to notice this. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now I want you to notice the timing here. Epaphras was one of you. He's one that's sitting out here today. Epaphras is one who's in this congregation right now. And I want you to notice when he prayed. Always. But you know, this was more than just prayer. You ever thought about prayers differently? You ever thought about how different times call for different prayers? At lunch, I'm sure many of you will go and sit around the table and you'll say a blessing. You'll say a prayer. You'll ask the Lord to bless the food and you'll ask those, the Lord to bless those who are less fortunate and you'll thank Him for the blessings that you have and you'll end it with amen, right? Sometimes at night you'll lay yourself down and just before you fall asleep, you'll say a prayer and you'll thank Him for the day and you'll thank Him for the good things of the day. And you'll pray that He's with you as you sleep and you'll pray that He'll be with you tomorrow and that He'll guide you and you'll pray for certain people, right? How hard is that? You know the term that Paul used for Epaphras was? Always laboring fervently. When was the last time praying wore you out? Man, I tell you, I could give some of you a shovel and you'd go out there and you would dig a hole out there in that lot until you fell over tired. But I wonder if I gave you this book, if you'd go out into that lot and pray till you fell over tired. Because that's what Epaphras did. You know, there's times we do that. I really believe that. I really believe there's times we do that. In fact, Ian uh, is gracious enough, and I'm sure there's a couple other men who are involved uh, in sending out the alerts. Uh, so let me throw this out real quick. If you have a cell phone and a cell phone number and you don't receive the church alerts, uh, if you could get with Ian, have your number added, you'll get all the alerts, those who are on the prayer list, right? Those, those that need instant prayer. And I am certain there are times that we read those and we actually go to war. We actually take it seriously and we labor in the prayer because we want it now and we know they've got to have it right now. When was the last time you did that? You know, some of us would say, well, the other night when sis went to the hospital. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed for Jenna?
When was the last time you prayed for Julian? When was the last time you prayed for Lance? You know, I notice some people are looking around. You know why? Because here's the question in your head. What? Who's Lance? Oh, that Lance. Lance is going to be mad because he got called out during church. When was the last time you prayed for Rachel? Everybody see Rachel back there? Everybody looks back there. That's the Rachel. Or Aunt LaShonda. Her name's actually Shonda, but I've given her a cool nickname. It's Aunt LaShonda. When was the last time you said a prayer for her? You know what? Here's what we could all think of. We could all think of this. We could all say, well, I remember when Shonda was on the prayer list, and I'm sorry I brought that up, but I have to make a point here, Aunt LaShonda. I remember when Shonda was on the prayer list. In fact, I remember when she was going through a very tough time, and you know what? We had to pray for her then. And then I remember when it was announced about the great news that God had done through our prayers. When was the last time Aunt LaShonda was on your prayer list? Oh, let me ask it this way. Who's on your prayer list? See, here's what, here's what you're going through your mind, right? You're going through your mind. Wait, hold on a second. I do remember that Justin said some names this morning, and I remember that Franklin recalled one. His name is Danny Martin. Who is Danny Martin? Danny Martin is Maxine's cousin, and he's Nathan's cousin. we got to remember Nathan Martin. He's on my prayer list, right? And he should be. Wait, there was another one. It was someone related to Toya. we got to pray for them. Hold on. Hold on, there's others. There's others. I'll come up with them, right? There's one named Dave, and Dave gets called out every time I preach. And so I'm going to call Dave out, because here's what you have to know. Dave has gone through some really, really, really tough times when it comes medically. But praise God, through the prayers that you've raised up, he's reached a point now where his treatments are great, and they've actually said he can start eating again. Praise God. I wonder how long he's going to get to be on our prayer list. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed for Kennedy? Anybody remember when Kennedy was born? Kennedy doesn't remember. <laughs> but I remember. I remember going to the hospital for Kennedy. But you know, through your prayers, through your embracing of Ian and Toya, through your prayers, Kennedy's okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kennedy's actually doing fantastic. When was the last time Kennedy was on your prayer list? Huh. I wonder who was on Epaphras' prayer list. You know what Paul said? Paul said you were. Paul said everybody was. Now, I want you to get this idea, and I want to make sure it's clear. If Epaphras prayed for the brothers and sisters that he embraced, he prayed for Kennedy, even when Kennedy was fine. He prayed for Lance, even when Lance was fine. He prayed for Aunt Shonda. Even 
when the news was good. But I want you to notice something he says. It wasn't a just, Lord, thank you for Dave. Thank you for the blessings in his life. I want you to notice what he says about Epaphras' prayers. He was laboring. I'm going to tell you, even when things were good, when he prayed for Caleb and he prayed for Denver, he was there laboring to the point it was wearing him out just to get those prayers. Why? Because he knew who he served. And because he knew that these were brothers and sisters. And whether times were good or times were bad, he was going to pray till it wore him out. Philippians, the fourth chapter and verse six, Paul writes, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. An idea that Jesus said that if we knocked, the door would be opened. That if we asked, we would in fact receive. And Paul says the same thing. You know, you can sit here and worry and it won't get you any further. You can sit here and worry and it won't make you any taller. But guess what prayer does? Now I want you to notice the same writer wrote to the church at Ephesus these words. Now I want to put this in context here. If you go back to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, you recall that Paul is warning them about the spiritual war that every one of us are involved in. He's talking about the spiritual war that everyone is involved in. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. And in fact, he goes on to explain what that armor is on, what that armor is, and what it does for us in putting it on. And as he closes out that armor of God, he says this in verse 18 of Ephesians 6, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I imagine if you ever want to be in a battle in life and feel you're right there in the middle of it, just sit in front of a doctor that tells you you have cancer and it doesn't look good. But you know what Paul said? Paul said, every one of you have cancer. And it's called sin. And every one of you face a battle. And he's coming after you. You know who needs your prayers? I do. You know who needs your prayers? Trent does. You know who needs your prayers? Mark needs your prayers. Greg needs your prayers. Michael, he's been on a prayer list before. And he got those prayers, and you know what? He needs to be back on your prayer list. Robin needs to be on your prayer list. Alicia needs to be on your prayer list. Isaac needs to be on your prayer list. Ava Rain needs to be on your prayer list. And just because 
I don't want to leave Logan out. Logan needs to be on your prayer list. Only because she was smiling at me. Praise God for the twins. They need to be on your prayer list. John needs to be on your prayer list. You are on my prayer list. And I want to be on yours. In Colossians, the fourth chapter, Paul, writing about Epaphras, said that the whole reason he did that, that he prayed the way he prayed, that he served the way he served, was so that you could stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And I want to broaden this out and show you how important this is. Epaphras had what we would call true love for his brothers and sisters there at Colossae. True love to the point he would make himself vulnerable in his service to Christ, in embracing his brothers and sisters, and in praying for them always. But Paul says, I bear him, that being Epaphras, I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and for them that are in Laodicea, and then in Hierapolis. You know, Epaphras, he's one of you. He's one of you sitting here today. He knows who he serves. He would embrace you in a moment. And he'd pray for you always so that you would be perfect in your service to God. And you know what was great about Epaphras? He wasn't king. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't an apostle. He was one of you. He was one of you. I wonder... Who's on your prayer list today? If you hadn't prayed for me, I'd ask you to do it. If you hadn't prayed for Ian, I'd ask you to do it. If you hadn't prayed for Monty and Darlis, Raven and Murtis, Larry and Debbie, I'd ask you to do it. For Annie and Aaron, I'd ask you to do it. Because I tell you, if we're going to make it, we all want to make it together. If you're not a child of God, you're on my prayer list. You're on my begging list. Because I want you there too. If you're not a child of God, I want you to make that step this morning, knowing who your Savior is and who you have to serve. Because it's only through obedience to Him that you can be made clean this morning. If you're not a child of God, we would plead with you this morning to make that step. To be buried with Him in baptism. If you are a child of God this morning, and there's something that we can pray with you or for you, we don't want this to be a time that you get called out that that you come up here so we can stare and we can point because that's not what this is about. 
We want this to be a time that we can embrace you this morning. Won't you come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected?